Welcome to the Shamanic Author Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. Are you a coach, holistic, or spiritual entrepreneur struggling to write your first book? The Shamanic Author Podcast will help you release that resistance inside yourself so you can access that state of being that writing requires. See, society has it all wrong. From a young age, we're told that we have to have the house, the degree, the fancy car to be happy. But the truth is, we have to become that state of happiness, and then the material success follows. You're human beings, not human havings, right? So I'm so excited for this episode today. Let's explore energy, alternative health, first-time author challenges, and book publishing marketing strategies. If this sounds like you, I want you to head over to mountainmindtricks.com slash ultimate-guide for a free ultimate aspiring author guide. There's three steps in there that'll teach you exactly how to write a book that makes a big difference in your spiritual business, in your holistic or coaching practice. And if you want to know when the next episode is live, get updates and learn more about the shamanic writing process, follow me on Instagram at mountain underscore mind underscore tricks. That's mountain mind tricks with underscores. Follow the podcast and subscribe to the show to make sure you get the notifications when I release new episodes. Welcome to an amazing show today. I'm so excited. We have Chris Earnshaw. He's a professor, lecturer, philosopher, Freemason. And we go deep into how Freemasonry and Taoism could be the same thing. That Freemasonry could have came from the East, which is so interesting. And we go deep into exorcisms, using pendulums, into angelic beings, past lives. We kind of just go deep into the spirit realm. And, and Chris is such an amazing storyteller. Uh, you're in for a treat today for the podcast, and, I, and I'm excited. So here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Shamanic Author Podcast. I'm so excited for my guest today, Chris Earnshaw. He's a 33-degree Freemason and lecturer philosophy and uh, politics at the university in a university in Japan and multiple author, amazing, amazing person that talks about Freemason, Taoism, dowsing, uh, tarot. I'm just so excited for this conversation. And, and Chris, could you introduce yourself and let us know how you got into writing? Like, what was that journey like for you? Uh, how did that start? Yes. So um, I've always been a, an avid reader since um, a young age. I, I went to boarding school in England and we don't have television. So there's not much to entertain yourself with in the evenings. And so I started reading and I'm not quite sure. I think the first book I read was The Hobbit uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien. And I was probably aged about eight. I'm not quite sure where the second book came from, but I used to choose the books. They were mainly penguin books, which are paperback books. And I choose the book next book by reading what was in the back of the book. You know? So I didn't really have a plan of what to read. So I was reading mainly Russian classics. Um, I'm not quite sure why, but um, I uh, wasn't really interested in Russia, but the stories were very big scale, you know, um, Dostoevsky, Lamontov, uh, Pushkin, people like that. And um, just kept on reading. Yeah. Oh, I and love so that. Yeah. I think when I got to a later age, probably about 16, then I started 
feeling that I wanted to write things. I was writing short stories, wasn't showing them to anybody, but, um, and then my first book was actually an academic book. Ah, yes, the first book was um, about Japanese calligraphy. And I completed that when I was about 28. Yes. Oh, that's so amazing. I love that. And, <laughs> and so I'm also curious on how, how did you end up in Japan? Like, what yes. was that journey like? And, and you're right. from Britain, right? Correct. From London. Yes. Um, the English education system is a specialist system, meaning that every year you choose out of the uh, the classes you took, you choose your strongest classes to take the next year. So when you're about, um, I suppose, 11, you're probably studying 10 subjects. Uh, when you go to um, junior school, I suppose middle school, you study about six subjects. And when you go to uh, high school, you only study three subjects. You know, so it gets less. And when you go to university, of course, you only study one, sometimes uh, a double, so two, two subjects. Whereas the American system is that you study uh, probably about 10 subjects all the way through to university, which is very strange for me. Yeah, that's, that's so uh, different from our system. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah. interesting. So in English, in England, it's a specialist system. But the problem about it is that you tend to to choose the subjects that you got higher marks in, uh, not necessarily the ones you're interested in. <laughs> so you may be interested in art or want to be a doctor. Like in my case, I was very interested in medicine, but my grades were highest in languages. Uh, uh, so at high school, I did English, French, the history of art and economics. Uh, that will not get you into medical school. Right. Uh, but that's the way the, the, the dice rolled. And I really didn't think much about, you know, my future when I was like uh, 11. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So the choices I made at 11 probably weren't the best choices <clears throat> to become a, do a doctor anyway. Um, so uh, at university, um, they have... Uh, exotic languages. So those are languages that are not taught at high school. Uh, so it includes things like Arabic, Chinese, Russian, and of course, Japanese. And at the time in England, um, I'm talking of the late 70s, <clears throat> there was a, um, a movement, uh, which we called Japan bashing. Uh, the economy under Thatcher was all over the place and there was a lot of kind of discrimination against Japanese imported cars. Uh, people believed that Japan was dumping their cars into the Japanese economy and by dumping they mean they were selling them at a lower price than they were being sold in the Japanese market. Well, <clears throat> I didn't know much about situation. I mean, of course, I was studying economics, but uh, I didn't know the, the validity of the argument. So I thought there was an opportunity to study Japanese at university, which would put me into a place to understand, understand both sides of the argument. And so I applied to Cambridge um, with my four A-levels, and I applied to Cambridge uh, to do Japanese. 
I met with uh, Professor Carmen Blacker, I think her name is, Blacker, Black. And um, uh, I realized that Japanese is going to be quite a challenge. <clears throat> so I took a gap year, uh, which is, uh, is the suggested way, preferred way of doing university in England, because 18 year, year old kids are seen to be a bit immature to go to university. And they suggest they take one year off to think about it before you actually apply to go to university. Particularly in those days, university was free and they didn't want students wasting the university's time, applying for a course halfway through dropping out, which meant that some other student couldn't get in, you know, who, who may have succeeded or done very well. You were just uh, slowing the system down. So they really wanted, so my gap year, I came to Japan and uh, I studied Japanese here and I thought, you know, why study Japanese in England when you can study it in Japan, you know? And um, so I didn't go back. I didn't go to Cambridge. I eventually went to London University, uh, SOAS, which is the School of Oriental and Africa, African Studies. Oh, that's so amazing. I love that. And, <laughs> and what a journey. I, stu I stumbled into it. Yeah. <laughs> so no planning, you know, just... Well, you know, I think many people are rather like that, you know, in life. I've met many people and they, they never planned many things in their lives, you know, unless they came from a family where the father was a doctor and then the son's going to be a doctor. Um, in Japanese, we say that the baby snake follows the father snake, you know. <laughs> so right. and that's uh, the way it, some, but other people just seem to take what comes comes to them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell me more about Freemasonry, because I know that's a major subject you write about. It's a part of your life. And and I yeah. guess to start off, I think we all have an idea of what Freemasonry is, probably from National Treasure or like American movies like that, where it's like, right. you know, we have the conspiracy ideas, but what is what is Freemasonry? Like, what is that? And, and how, how, how do you come across that? I didn't uh, get involved in Freemasonry until I was in my late thirties. And um, uh, I, my parents and my grandparents have been Masons. And also I think, believe my, my, my grandparents, the one before that, the Japanese Hiyoji-san, um, anyway, great grandparent. He was, I believe in the Grand Lodge of England. And so, um, there's a history of it, but we don't really talk about Freemasonry at home, you know, what it is, and we don't go into sort of deep, and particularly as I was at boarding school most of the time. So when I came to Japan, um, I was a member of the, the Kobe Club. I was living in Kobe, and in the car park at the back of Kobe, there was a Masonic Lodge, and it got me thinking. And then I started asking around, and I found that there was a Mason in, in my company. I was working in a pharmaceutical company. Uh, without a medical background, which or, or scientific background, but that's how it goes in Japan, in England. And um, I asked around, and then he introduced me to the lodge. So I didn't really know much about it when I joined, and I think that's most people are like that. They're in, intrigued by Freemasonry. Um, of course, in in the early days, there wasn't very much on the internet. It wasn't as as hasn't a, a expanded as much as it has now and so the data on the internet was quite limited um, but 
basically it's a system of morality. It's what is sold as a system of morality uh, to make good men better. But um, it's actually much, much deeper than that. And that's what I write about in my books. I, I write about what I call spiritual Freemasonry. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. And so um, you were explaining earlier off air about how there's kind of this Taoism that kind of bleeds over into the Freemasonry, right? And that's something you write about in, in a lot yes. of your books. And then yes. that's what you're talking about, the spiritual Freemasonry. Can you tell us more about about some of those ceremonies or, or what did you see that was similar? Right, so that's a, a good question. First of all, I've been a Mason 20, more than 20 years uh, and I was just accepted the story that it is given. You know, it's a, it's a three-step process we call the three degrees. The first degree is, is the initiation and uh, it's we bringing a candidate what from we say a state of darkness, what we call spiritual poverty. And then we educate him in, uh, in the second degree about life and the work that improves a person's lives uh, to do with learning about virtues and what we call the three tenets, which are brotherly love, relief, which means charity and truth. And so these are the, the core beliefs of our, of our system. And um, then in the third degree, the candidate goes through a kind of symbolic death and rebirth. And uh, he then proves that he understands the, uh, the teachings of the first two degrees. And then he's, he's brought to like um, raised to a new life in, in our brotherhood. And um, it's all based about the story based around the story of rebuilding uh, King Solomon's temple, which, as most listeners will know, it was destroyed twice. And our job is to build symbolically in our hearts a third symbolic, a third King Solomon's temple where we can meet with God. Uh, we don't define what God is, um, which religion we don't, we accept all religions. Um, so God is whatever you want him to be. But we believe that people should be in a stronger communication with uh, what we call the supreme architect of the universe. And in that way, we become more spiritually attuned. Well, um, that's what I believed the first 20 years. And then uh, about in 2016, which is four, uh, four and a half years ago from where we are now, um, I visited Taiwan because at university I studied uh, Japanese and Chinese at London University and I was particularly interested in Chinese. Um, the Japanese have borrowed so many things from China and so China seemed to be the origin and I was particularly taken with the teaching of Mencius Mencius uh, is known as the second sage in China. Uh, he was a pupil of Confucius. Well, when I say pupil, um, he, he learnt uh, about Confucianism from Confucius's grandson. So there's like a hundred year gap between the two of them and they never met. So, um, but the way Confucius uh, wrote, um, 
about life and how we should live it and virtue and things. It just seems so fresh to me. But, you know, Confucius died, um, I forget the exact date, but something like 180 BC, you know. So it's, we're talking like, you know, two and a half thousand years ago, the guy died. But he was writing about things that were so fresh and vivid. And um, so when I heard that Taoism uh, is, is based on the teachings of, of Confucius and Mencius, I wanted to learn more. A friend invited me to Taiwan and I was initiated. <clears throat> if uh, I can take a, a short story about Mencius, um, maybe of interest. When I, uh, I was in a, a major pharmaceutical company, it's called the Wellcome Foundation. It now is part of uh, GlaxoSmithKline, GSK. And because I spoke Japanese, they sent me to Japan. But the way they did it was very strange. Um, this is a major company at that time. Welcome had 70,000 employees, you know, all around the world. And they had a, 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 an HR department with something like 30 people in there. And inside that, <clears throat> 10 people were dedicated to the HR issues for people around the world because they had so many employees from Singapore to America, uh, Research Triangle Park, for example. So you'd have thought they would be professionals. But when I went to Japan, first of all, I had to buy my own ticket. So it was a bit strange. I thought they'd give me a ticket. <clears throat> so I bought my own ticket for me, my wife and my children and bought it. And I arrived in, in Osaka. I went to the office. I didn't know how to get there. So I just got in a taxi and, and went. Um, when I arrived, nobody was expecting me. And I was just standing there. I said, what am I going to do? Where am I going to stay? So I, I booked into a hotel and I waited uh, till somebody turned up <laughs> and came to my hotel and said, oh, welcome to Japan. I said, like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> and Mencius talks about this in, in his book. And uh, he gave exactly the same story. And I, when I read it, I could see myself in the story. And the story is that when a king sends an ambassador to another country, he has to do three things. The first thing is he has to take the ambassador to the, uh, the border and say goodbye to him, which shows the ambassador that he is supported by the king. Secondly, before the ambassador arrives in the neighboring company, the king should send runners into the country telling everybody that the king is sending his best man. This man is, is our best ambassador and you can expect some great things from this person. So the receiving company are all excited and looking forward to the person's arrival. The third thing you should do is while the ambassador is in uh, working in the neighboring company, you should not steal his property and uh, his servants and forfeit all his savings and things like that. Otherwise, he won't come back because he's got nothing to come back to. I saw myself in that story because nobody took me to the airport. Nobody prepared my, my going to China, Japan. When I arrived in Japan, nobody knew I was coming in the first place. So there was no reception. There wasn't even a desk for me to sit at. And third, there was no guarantee that I had a position to come back to in the office when I came back from Japan. 
So I just stayed in Japan for, for the rest of my life. Wow, that's so interesting to show up and nobody's like, what do you, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah but this was written about three, uh, two and a half thousand years ago. If you want your ambassador to be successful, these are the three things you have to do. And none of them were done by this multinational organization. You know, you'd have thought they knew better. Obviously, they haven't read Mencius. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so, so. Tell me more about how how did you get into dowsing and um, you know more deeper spiritual practices? Yes. So um, while I was a Freemason, uh, Freemasonry for, is a, is a mixture of many things. It's part charity, of course. It's a major international charity. It gives away millions of dollars every day. Um, but it is also a like a theater because you're, you're enacting this play every time and the play doesn't change it's, it's always the same play but the um, main character is always a new person and then it's part of debating society um, it's part uh, ritual which is rather like being in, in a church or a chapel for some people it's rather milit uh, like militaristic and the last point is it's very spiritual and uh, because we have an altar, we pray to God and we we have lectures from the Bible and we take prayers from the Bible. So when Freemasonry started in 1717, there was only Christianity in England. There was no other religions at all. So Freemasonry is based on Christianity. But we became more pluralistic and we allowed other religions uh, starting first of all with Judaism and then Islam and then other religions were accepted into masonry and so at the moment uh, from that point onward we made uh, kind of no ethnic or religious discrimination at the time uh, Christianity the Protestant England was fighting with Catholic um, Catholic countries all around it uh, Scotland and Ireland which were Catholic and of course uh, France and Spain so you know at that time for a Protestant country to allow Catholics to become members of Freemasonry that was a very advanced uh, thing to do so um, I think I've forgotten what the question was <laughs> I tend to ramble a bit yeah so so dowsing how did you get into yes, dowsing right. Yes. So spirituality, I started to realize it was a very spiritual thing. And I started reading about spiritual because Freemasonry uh, emphasizes uh, immortality. And I didn't really think much about immortality. So I started reading about immortality and a friend introduced me to Jane Roberts um, books, the Seth books. And I have nearly the whole collection, I believe. And I found that very, very interesting as an introduction to spirituality. And I started practicing all sorts of things. I went in all sorts of directions. I went, started with Ouija boards. I was using crystals. And then I realized that I needed a way to communicate that I could visually um, see a result. Because with crystals, you know, you don't actually see anything happening. It's a belief, you know, you believe that the energy of the crystal is helping you making a change either a spiritual or mental or or some physical change but with with a a pendulum you can actually see a reaction 
And if you learn uh, advanced technique with, uh, with dowsing, you're able to, to measure things like a degree of change or the, um, the energy that comes through the pendulum. For example, how fast it, how fast it travels or which direction it travels. And you're able to change that by talking to whatever's moving the, the, um, the pendulum. And that got me really excited from a kind of, at the time I was in pharmaceuticals and I was studying uh, all the things I should have studied at high school. And so I was thinking, you know, how does this get, get moving? The second thing I did was um, I had a kind of difficult childhood. Um, uh, my parents divorced while I was at boarding school and I didn't really know what was going on and they were hiding things from me. They were going to court all the time. And uh, when I went home, there was only one of them. And where's my father, <laughs> you know? So it was a little bit difficult for me. And I was carrying this around in my body for 30 years. And a friend introduced me to a uh, tarot reader. And when I went to the tarot reader, you know, I was just skeptical is the word I should use. But I, I was so blown away with what he told me about my family and the relationships. And I said, I was thinking, how's this guy know this stuff? You know, where's it coming from? You know? And eventually he called, he said, you're an orphan. Yeah, I'm not an orphan. He said, yes, you, you feel like an orphan. And I thinking about it, it's probably true. You know, it's, it's um, because the parents were always at home, they were working and I was at school by myself. I probably was a, a form of an orphan. Anyway, so I started studying uh, the tarot and um, Again, I didn't know where to start, but I bought some books and cards and I practiced. And um, then I ended up reading Edgar Cayce. I mean, it's just a tangent. And I read a book um, about Edgar Cayce called The Commentary on the Book of Revelation. And then I realized that the tarot cards are actually based, many of the tarot cards are based on the book of Revelation. And I thought that was pretty awesome. And you can see the tarot cards from one to 14 are in the book of Revelation. They're described nearly exactly the same and they're in the same order. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. And I, I made this sort of discovery. So I wrote a book called uh, The Tarot of the Revelation. And um, from then, I think having these two skills, the tarot card and the dowsing, uh, I just, I don't know if it blossoms the correct word. I, I think I just took off. I expanded. All sorts of things started happening. It was awesome. It was, it was great. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And, and <laughs> gosh, the Seth books, Edgar Casey, like yeah. for people not familiar, you got to check out that stuff. And the Seth books remind me that author kind of channeled Seth, right? And, yes. and, and uh, it's a very good read, very deep, a lot of wonderful value there, along with Edgar Casey. The Sleeping Prophet, I think a lot of is is kind of the the name for him, and and Edgar Casey just blows my mind with everything he predicted and everything he did in his life, uh, still coming true to this day. Uh, so amazing, and so I I guess I want to go a little bit deeper. I really want to talk more about your books, and, and we're gonna get there. And I want to get a little bit deeper into something you were talking about um, off air, if you're if you're if you're willing to about. Um, using the dowsing for exorcisms and, and yeah. helping people with that. And I would just love to hear more about 
how, how did you, how did that happen the first time? Like, how did you get into that the first time? And also some of the things that you've seen, um, doing, doing dowsing for helping people with, with demons or with uh, negative energies right. attached to them. Right. Right. So I, I come from a background where we're not very religious. I was brought up in the church of England, which is obviously Protestant. And I went to communion because I, at school, it was a Christian school and it was required of us. And so as soon as I left school at 18, the last thing I wanted to do was to step into a, a chapel or a church again. I'd had enough, you know. And so I didn't really understand about demonology and uh, this whole world of spiritual uh, entities. So I had to learn really quickly. And I read a book by um, a dowser. And this is another, I find when you're on the path, a lot of synchronicities or coincidences. <laughs> I mean, talking Japanese so long, I forget my English. Um, they start to happen. Uh, and they actually, I feel that I'm being directed all the time. I'm getting directed. Um, so I was listening to um, uh, a podcast on the on the in, while I was driving, and I'm trying to think what it was called. Uh, not forbidden, forbidden. Uh, he's quite a famous person. It's it forbidden knowledge. Forbidden knowledge, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, it's an American author who had. Um, UFO experiences and he's quite famous and I've got the book but I just can't see where I put the book if I see the title it'll come back to me um, anyway um, uh, so I, I was listening to his podcast and he introduced this person called Raymond Grace uh, and Raymond Grace was talking about his experiences as dowsing and that changed my life that podcast and that's just one of those coincidences you know I just had to turn it on while it was being played and he he teaches about how to exercise using um, the pendulum so great I got the knowledge but I didn't know anybody who needed an exorcism it's not like people of you know <laughs> there's a place to go to find people who need it but um, so I started kind of uh, talking to the other side and using uh, what skills I had. And then eventually I found people that had issues and um, they never talked about, this. for example, like they were hearing voices or um, they couldn't sleep because they had nightmares all the time or other things that, um, let me think, yes, they used to get headaches all the time. And uh, so I, um, tried working with them and I was quite successful. I, I just, um, first thing is that uh, you have to make sure to understand that it's not you doing anything. You're using the dial, the pendulum like a telephone to talk to the other side, to ask uh, on the other side to do the work. Okay, so that's the important thing. Otherwise people get think, oh, I, I'm a magician, I'm Merlin or something, you know? You're not, you're, you're just asking the side that has all the energy and all the power <laughs> to do the work on your behalf and that's an important thing to remember and secondly you should never be 
close to the person of having an exorcism done because that energy can come to you. Uh, it can stick in, stick in your aura or actually even worse, get inside of you. And uh, this is, is really um, difficult. So you always want to do it at a distance, like in different houses or even different cities. Um, then I read um, a book called Journeys um, by, oh man, I just forget. When you get old, you tend to forget people's names so quickly. Um, oh dear, Journeys is written by uh, the famous author who writes the uh, Jurassic Park and things like that. Clayton, no, not Clayton, something like that. Crichton. He wrote about his spiritual journeys looking for meeting spiritual people. And one of the stories is about going to Los Angeles and uh, having an out of body experience and seeing negative energy stuck inside his own aura, which was sucking his energy from him, you know, and the negative energy just living on his, like a parasite. Uh, Michael Crichton. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's uh, reading these sort of stories, they just enforced what I was doing. Um, then the story that we, we mentioned offline, um, it's uh, a 13 year old junior high school girl had been kidnapped uh, outside Tokyo. And I thought, well, hey, I'm a dowser, I should be able to find her. So I got a map, I doused what I thought, I, got, I had a picture and I took a picture off the internet. I, I put my left hand on her, on her photograph and even a photograph, a printing of a photograph still has enough energy in it for you to tune in with a, with a you don't have to have an original photograph, a, a, just a printed print of a photograph will do. And so I was tuning into her. I knew roughly where I thought she was being held. Hey, what do you do? You just can't go and knock on the door and say you've kidnapped a young girl, you know, or you can't go to the police. The police will think you're crazy. They won't even listen to you. Um, so I felt, you know, I didn't even, I felt very stymied. I thought, what the hell am I going to do? So then I realized <clears throat> I should ask a higher authority to do it. And so I asked my guide on the other side to call in um, an archangel to free the girl. <clears throat> And um, and as soon as I did that, the energy in the room changed. Uh, I just, it was like very thick, heavy energy, but it was sparkling, it was vibrant. It was like, I just don't know how to explain it. It was like being inside um, candy floss. <laughs> no, not even that, it's not, not a good experience. <clears throat> it's just very hard to describe it. The energy was, I, because I think that that angel had come to visit me. Uh, I didn't talk directly. I just talked to my spirit and I tried not to get too excited. I said, this is where I think the girl is. Uh, she's been kidnapped. Her parents are worried about her, etc." And um, then I asked, because uh, this is what Raymond Grace says, you should always ask for a sign to make sure that the other side has heard your request. And uh, the angel I was calling on, uh, I, I bought a book about angels. Yeah, and I got, because you have to research this stuff, you know, you just can't play around. You've got to make sure you know what you're doing. So uh, the angel I was talking to has a color and the color is bright blue. 
So I asked for a sign um, and I didn't specify blue. I just said, Ask, show me a sign that you've heard my request and left it at that. And three days later, I was leaving the house and from in front of my house, I have a small garden and there's a gate that leads into the street. And on the gate was this um, dragonfly, bright blue dragonfly. It was iridescent, they call it. It was just sparkling. I mean, it was just so blue. I'd never seen a bright blue dragonfly like that. And it was sitting exactly where you put your hand on the gate to open it. So there's no way I would miss it. And it, it didn't move until I approached it. I went right up to it. And I think it was, I recognized this as being a sign at that point. It just came to me. This is the sign. Then the dragonfly flew away. And I thought, wow, this is awesome. Another, about five days later, the kidnapped girl walked into a police station and asked for help. And was just... <clears throat> wow. What an amazing story of... of yeah, lady. even now... Wow, Sorry. yeah. It chokes me up. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that because it's... it's uh, I didn't just feel the power behind that, like how much love yeah. that took, right? To really help that person. Like, yeah. wow, I just, I just love your story. That's happened about seven years ago and still it just moves me it's just the what it, i think what it is is the um the world world we are in now is so focused on material things like getting money to buy this to get a bigger house to get a a, a shiny car and we've totally missed that we're actually part of something bigger which is the spiritual world. And we don't have an interaction with the spiritual world. We don't, you know, the spiritual world is just very willing to help us. It's, it's, you know, we talk about guardian angels. Well, the guardians, because they want to guard you, you know, you know help you, you know, protect you from doing stupid things. Um, but do we ever talk to our guardian angels? No, nobody does. And I think when we go to a church to pray, those prayers are get filtered through our guardian angels and then they go to other levels and then they go, you know, if you really need help, they know who to connect it to. Like I asked, I, I said, please send an archangel. I could, could, I just could have said, please organize this or please just, you know, do it for me. But I actually specified who I wanted. But normally, I think the guardian angels, our spirit guides, are automatically funneling our requests and things like that when you pray. And one of the things is not just praying, but how to pray. We've completely lost how to pray. We're always demanding and wanting. We should be in a, in a sense of gratitude is what we need when we pray. Thank you for all the wonderful things you've given me, you know. That's what you should be saying, not, oh, give me a new Mercedes. I need a new Mercedes like my next door neighbors. No, you, you know, it's just imagine being on the other side. I want a Mercedes. So <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to the spiritual world. But when you're helping people and, you know, uh, fighting evil, which is the spiritual world's all about, then they, they move. They'll move heaven and earth to help you, literally.
Oh yeah, it's uh, so amazing. I love this, and and so I want to go a little deeper into like your books, and and yep. I want to ask you like, what was one of the books that, I guess, was there ever a book that you wrote that was a transformational process for you, a book that really helped you integrate lessons, a book that just the writing alone was like really took you somewhere internally. Yes. So um, I think the spiritual books I've written, first was the Tarot of the Revelation. Um, I found that I was channeling information. I, I didn't feel that um, I started off with the, with an idea um, because Edgar Casey he hadn't talked about tarot cards. He had just interpreted the book of Revelation into kind of modern spiritual language. Um, and then when I read his interpretation, I could see the tarot cards. Um, but when I started writing, all these other ideas kept coming through to me. So it's like being this, this journey that when, when you focus on, I think it's um, Joseph Campbell said that when you focus on something, the universe constellates around you. It brings the information to you. And so writing about the tarot cards and uh, the information in there. So it changed the tarot cards into more powerful tarot cards because now you're using spiritual lessons and uh, to read the tarot cards. So therefore your, your reading becomes much more about the spiritual growth of the person you're reading for. So then when I was doing the like going to, um, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> no, I haven't mentioned this. This is also interesting. Um, when I went to Taiwan to be initiated, um, one of the first things I noticed was it's nearly the same as the first degree initiation in Freemasonry. Um, Freemasonry and Taoism <clears throat> are the only two organizations that in initiate somebody with light. Everyone else uses water or fire normally, and Wiccan sometimes earth, but they never use light. Um, and this is what makes the two organizations uh, unique. I don't call them religions because Freemasonry and Taoism, neither of them are religions. They're more to do with a way of life based on morality and um, virtue. And that's what Taoism teaches as well. They don't pray to God. They don't. They don't have. Um, <clears throat> uh, have to be a little bit careful because there are two types of Taoism. There's a philosophical type of Taoism, Tao uh, Jia, which is the one I was studying, and then there's Tao Jiao, which is the the religious type, and they're the ones with the very ornate temples with dragons on the roof on on the roof of the temple and all these gods and things and the the pillars are bright red i was studying the philosophical one which was very muted the rooms were very plain uh but um <clears throat> yes so one thing that happened to me while i was there was that us i had lots of questions and one of the problems was i don't speak Chinese well enough to communicate to somebody about philosophy or, you know, so um, but they did have one Chinese uh, member who was fluent in English and um, he said if you want to talk about Taoism we have to light the candles well that's the same as in Freemason we have three candles 
what you have to light the candles before you do anything in Freemasonry. And the last thing you do is you turn the, you, you snuff the candles out. So you need to have the, the candles on first, otherwise no spiritual work can happen. It's the same in Taoism. And so it's, I asked the person some idea, uh, questions about Taoism. He said, come with me. So we went into the temple and he lit these three candles. And I said, this is like Freemason. <laughs> anyway, so I asked him a question and suddenly I got hit by lightning. I thought it was lightning. Uh, uh, it was really strange. I was standing by the altar pointing at things and light came from above. It came through the left side of my brain. It went down the left side, through my heart, through my left leg. And at that time I had an out of body experience. My eyes split into three, uh, I think it may be three or four people. And I could see the other two, so there were three of us, yes. <laughs> so the physical me held onto the altar suddenly because bang, you know, the, the light came through me and I held onto the altar. The second one, rather like in the matrix, you know, Keanu Reeves, I bent backwards like this leaning forward. And there's a third one watching the other two. <laughs> and um, I wasn't hurt. It wasn't an electrical thing. It wasn't to do with electricity. It was light sent from above. I don't know how it happened. And I, I, and I said to my guide, I said, did you see that? And he said, no. And I said, I just got hit by lightning, I think. And I explained it to him. He was ecstatic because he says this sort of thing happens uh, probably once or twice a year in this Taoist temple. Somebody has this illumination by light. And uh, I felt, you know, I had, to, I had to tell the story like 12 times to everybody that kept coming, you know, and all the senior uh Taoists they don't call them priests they're not sure exactly what they they call them I uh, forget what they call them in English guardians I think guardians of the light anyway they kept coming to see what happened I said well this it just came they were all so excited so that was kind of a moving experience yes <laughs> but this is the universe you know I, I teach these, I used to teach these things to people. I used to teach people uh, simple things like how to use the tarot cards and things. And I, I tell them, life is wonderful. It's full of wonder. We have all these wonders that are happening, you know, like being able to uh, leave your body and not die, you know, it's an out-of-body experience. Or you can read people's stories and then you can hear voices and you can have all sorts of experience. These are wonders we should be we shouldn't think that there's as the catholic church calls them the works of the devil they're not the works of the devil we're being guided we're being pushed forward to be better than ourselves and that's why i say life is wonderful full of wonders oh i love that so much thank you for sharing that story because that's i i've also had out-of-body experiences and they're just so powerful and life-changing yeah. and i think that's one thing i've been realizing about books in the last maybe six months to a year is i think when we're actually in that state of reading, we really get deep into that. Like you're not even, you don't even know that you're reading. You're so immersed into the story or the paragraph. You're, you're, you're literally having an out-of-body experience through reading through the book in a way. And, and I just, I just love it. It's so powerful. This yeah. is why books are, I'm so passionate about it because it's, it changes people's lives. And like you've mentioned, like this book and this book and this book has literally changed my life. And, and, yeah. um, 
I, I feel the same. There's multiple books I can go back to that. That was the turning point was reading yep. that book. Yep. And um, so tell us, tell us more about what books you have written in, where can we yep. find them and, and what's okay. that like? So my, I've written four books about the spiritual aspects of Freemasonry and uh, they're all on Amazon and you can see on YouTube as well. Uh, I call them spiritual Freemasonry because it's it's what Freemasonry should have what was originally about. And um, so there are four books in the series. The first one is Initiation by Light. Um, Freemasonry, Initiation by Light, and is exactly the story I just talked about. But I give all the detail about the Taoist ritual and the Freemasons ritual and how they, they're exactly the same. The, you know, so who copied who? Well, obviously the Freemasons took, uh, Freemasons took it from Taoism, but how did that happen? Uh, then I wrote another book about the quest for immortality because um, Freemasonry is all about a quest for immortality. And uh, then the, the uh, <clears throat> uh, second, second degree is called spiritual alchemy because it is a form of alchemy. And so in China, they were practicing alchemy from about 500 BC and they gave up practicing after about 300 years because they realized that there's no way that you can transmute lead into gold, doesn't work. But then they realized that the real transformation is a spiritual transformation inside yourself. And then they started studying it. And then books were written, for example, like The Golden Flower, which is a story, uh, not a story, it's a, like a textbook on how to have an out-of-body experience and how to, to create that energy inside yourself so your, your astral body can leave you and, your, and it just explains it. And then I realized it's exactly what the third degree of Freemasonry is, exactly the same process, but given as a play, not as a, as a book. And then the fourth book goes into all the out-of-body, the, what, the, what the Freemasons in 1700 would have known about for example, spiritual things. Well, they would have known about saints and um, there's uh, Teresa, uh, Saint Teresa, and there's a, a male saint, um, uh, Camero, I think his name, who actually floated in, in air. They just lifted up, and a couple of them lifted up in front of the bishop who came to see this and they had to pull the person down from the sky because he was just going to float off. And there are dozens of stories of people, you know, who were actually able to fly in a way. They're just floating six, eight feet off the, off the, off the earth. And these have been attested to by many people. So how the hell does that happen? You know, we don't see that happening nowadays. You know, there'd be, there'd be riots in the street. Um, the healing, um, uh, Bruno Groening. I don't know if you've heard of Bruno Groening, but uh, it's sometime about the beginning of the Second World War in Germany. He used to heal people by standing in front of them, talking to them. Uh, and perhaps a thousand people would collect around his house and they'd all go home healed. He didn't just, he, he just came out like Jesus. And he said, you know, started talking to them about, I'm not sure what, and people who were in wheelchairs went home pushing the wheelchair. Uh, these things, we, 
we think of them as miracles, but there must be a way of recreating this so that the whole world can can understand it. Anyway, I'm, I'm going beyond myself, but the Freemasons uh, 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 have this wonderful spiritual exercise. So I, at the beginning, I said, you know, it, it's, it's a three-step process where a person um, comes from a state of darkness, a spiritual poverty, but it's, if you actually look into the ritual and study it very carefully, you'll see the hints inside the ritual that people, one of the issues is that the, the ritual of Freemasonry was written in uh, 300 years ago, 1717, the Hanoverian period. And the, the language they use is slightly different from what we have now. And also our education is different. Um, I went to a private school, so in England, I studied Latin. It was uh, obligatory to study Latin or Greek. Luckily, my school was, was Latin. And uh, so I had this kind of background uh, on, of the classics. So when I started studying this uh, ritual, I realized that it was much deeper than uh, people with a modern education would understand. So these four books, uh, did I say the Royal Arch? Yes, the fourth one, Royal Arch. So they basically take the ritual apart and show what the original three uh, grand masters, um, Anthony Sayer, George Payne, and John de Sagulier, who rewrote uh, Freemasonry over a period of eight years and then uh, recreated the three degree system. I think that I, I believe my books give what they they really wanted Freemasonry to become, which now it's as it's actually a system of morality, but morality that's a very Victorian term, and uh, so in the Victorian age, Freemasonry changed somewhat to be focused on morality and being more somber, whereas in the earlier days it was. Uh, much people wore bright clothes and um, they talked about philosophy and these occult practices that I'm talking about. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> for everybody listening, all the links, the books will be in the show notes and, and you got to check these out because they're so deep and, and wonderful. And, and yeah. I'm curious if, did you self-publish your books? Did you go through a publisher and what was that journey like and why did yes. you publish that way? So I published um, self-publishing through Amazon's um, POD, Print on Demand. I, I'd never done it before. I'm in love with it now. Um, there are many reasons for it. Uh, the finished product is just so good. I mean, I always thought POD was, you know, like pulp and cheap paper and stuff like that. No, it isn't. The quality of the paper is really good. Uh, you can't see the prints of one page from the other page. It doesn't show through, you know, so the quality of the paper is really good. The covers are good. They're, they've now started publishing in hardback as well. I, I haven't done that yet, but uh, present my paper, books are all paperback. Um, the royalties are probably five times what I would get from a publisher. And but that means that I'm responsible for my own marketing. So I have to uh, use Amazon's uh, sales tool that you know, have to pay for advertising on Amazon, uh, which is part of the package, I suppose. And um, I write a lot of articles about my books on the internet, um, both on Twitter, my webpage, uh, 
I'm starting planning to do a an audio book for people who like to listen to books while you drive. I uh, haven't started yet because that's a big, big thing. Uh, what I'm currently doing is translating my four books into Japanese for the Japanese audience. And so um, the second thing I like about uh, Amazon's print on demand is that you can make changes to the book and the books are changed within a day. Um, so even though I had two professional editors, um, both were Freemasons, so they knew the terminology, and both were editors, they still missed lots of small things. It drove me crazy. But as soon as I found it, next day I corrected it, put out a new version, two days later, the new book's there with the corrections in it. Traditional publishing, it doesn't, doesn't, it's impossible. And so um, there's things I don't like about Amazon. I don't like their ebook system very much. 10% um, of my sales are ebooks, but um, I understand ebooks, people like to read on computers, but for a, an author, the formatting, the choice of fonts, uh, how to put images in is all very, it's just terrible, terrible system. Uh, it just drives me crazy. Uh, but anyway, but the published books come out really nice. <laughs> really yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. And so is there any last thoughts, anything that we haven't covered that you want to talk about? Any questions I didn't ask you? Um, well, if we can extend for another three hours, yes, there's lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I... Uh, one of the things about, I put, you know, when, you, when I sign up um, for something and it says, you know, what, what's your belief system or are you religious? I always just put down spiritual. I'm a spiritual person. And it has allowed me to understand what religion's all about. And so the Bible, I have a better understanding of the Bible. Uh, in my books, so I have a lot of um, references. I think one of my books has 600, the book itself is 200 pages, but it has 600 references in it. Of that 600 references, 150 are from the Bible. So I actually, free, I'm quoting Freemasonry based on what is in the Bible. And that has left me, uh, given me a new appreciation of what the Bible is all about. Because the Bible wasn't written by God, it was written by people. And most of uh, the Old Testament was written by prophets, people like me, spiritual people who have out-of-body experiences or um, like Ezekiel had an out-of-body experience and his chariot went up into heaven. Well, actually, I think it's, he's the one that went into heaven, not his chariot, but whatever. And so when you look at the Bible, you, you see it with different eyes now. I don't see it as a religious document. I see it as spiritually advanced people trying to explain their their experiences to um, lay people. Um, the, uh, for example, um, uh, Saul's uh, experience on the road to Damascus, he had an out-of-body experience. It says that in the Bible, you know, <laughs> and he saw Jesus, you know, because he was in, he was out of the body, had an OEB, but, you know, so there's all these, and the other thing, for example, Jesus, uh, I think, I forget the exact number, but he, he healed about 35 people. 
of those 35 healings, atheism were exorcisms. People don't realize he was an exorcist. He, he, he said, go to the, there's one famous story about a person who had, had all these demons in it. And he said, demons get out and they all jumped into pigs. And then he sent the pigs over the cliff to kill themselves, you know, which is a very strange way of doing an exorcism. You shouldn't do it like that. But that's how they had to explain, you know, how to get rid of the demons. And he healed the person by telling, you know, demons get out of this person. <laughs> Uh, but unfortunately, that man lost his livelihood. Those pigs were, you know, what he, he lived on with those pigs. And he destroyed the person's livelihood. There's another way of doing it, um, which is in my case when I, uh, um, and I check the, the level of, of um, anger or hatred that the demon has. And I ask the, um, the universe, uh, my guide to send this this entity to a higher level for re-education. I believe that we should have sympathy and understanding even for negative entities, call them whatever you want, demons, whatever you want. To me, it's just a negative entity. And But we should have sympathy for that because they are misunderstood. They were probably in their own lives. They were probably... Um, abused or um, taken advantage of they may have been enslaved they may have had you know and so they they couldn't cross over they had so much anger inside them that they when uh, they couldn't go into the light and go into uh, the, the afterworld they stayed stuck in our you know uh, energy field i suppose and then they found some poor person to attach to you know um so I always, you know, make sure that these people, these entities are treated well and they are re-educated. I think that's an important point. Um, but it also explains things like alcohol, alcoholism. People who are alcoholic, they're driven to it many times because they have somebody who was an alcoholic in another life. He's sucking on the energy and he wants that buzz he gets from the alcohol and he keeps pushing the person to go and have a drink. So he, the, this, the energy entity can live off that feeling of the, the, and the alcohol going around. Suicides are the same. Many suicides, and I work with suicide prevention. I've, I've got an MPO particularly for that. And these people, they... they often say that you know I felt I was being pushed to it that I had no option you know so studying spirituality and our relationship with the other side is so important it just it the whole world changes when you you know start to understand the big picture and forget about the Mercedes Benz and the pay rises and things like that and um, if I yeah. could if Keep I could on. introduce one book that I found was in, uh, really eye-opening it was it's called 30 years among the dead by dr carl wickland um it's a 200 yen ebook and um 200 yen sorry two dollar <laughs> as an ebook it's a two dollars on the internet and uh his story is very interesting he was a psychiatrist and his wife was a medium and he used to exercise patients and that entity would then uh his wife as a medium would talk to that entity 
and she say, why are you, why are you attacking this, this poor woman here? You know, she can't sleep. She's got headaches. You, you're driving her mad. And then the, the entity would explain, you know, his background. And that was just so enlightening. I, that was just such a great book. Wow. That's a, I love that story. And yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing everything you have today. Like just so much, so much knowledge and so many books you've read and this uh, 30 years among the dead. That sounds like that's, I'm going to check that out. Definitely. There's so it, many it books sounds in creepy, here. but it is actually a kind of scientific experiment. Um, uh, rather like um, Tompkins and Bird's uh, Secret Life of the Plants. It's one of the first books I learned, I started reading right in the beginning when I was reading uh, Jane Roberts. Secret Life of the Plants talks about how plants communicate to each other. And this people, uh, Tompkins and Bird, I think they are, they set up experiments to prove that plants, even over long distances between cities, they can talk to each other. And they proved it with all sorts of experiments, you know. And I this blew me away, you know, as a you know, when I had no idea what spirituality was, this just shows that the whole world is connected. We're all part of one perfect internet that already existed before um, Google came along. You know? um, yeah, it's just so exciting. Yeah. It just just keeps going, you know. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all <absolutely>. this energy. <laughs> right. And I yeah. think a book that's coming to mind for me is a is uh Michael Newton. Um, journey between journey between lives, I think it is. Uh, journey between souls, maybe. And he he talks about. Are you familiar with that book at all? About no, how he 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 was a hypnotherapist, and he would take his patients through um, you know past life regressions, yep. and they would talk about this time in between lives where it was almost it, he, it, it sounded so funny. It's almost like this DMV line line where they're waiting in line. They have a number and they get up to the counter and the person's like, well, what kind of life do you want? And they're like, well, I want to break my leg. I want to get in a car accident. I want to get this and that. <laughs> and then they would punch their thing and they would get reincarnated. And it was just kind of, kind of funny, but all of a sudden there's like up to like 2000 people were recounting this kind of similar, maybe not yeah. exactly, but similar experience on the other yeah. side. And it's just so it's I, yeah. I love this stuff. It's so interesting. It's like um, Brian Weiss, uh, many lives, many masters or his other one, same soul, many bodies. He's got lots of books out. Same stories. Yes. Two people meet in, in a, an airport and they're just sitting chatting, but they've been married in a, pr a previous life, you know, and they get to talk and they, they marry again. You know, <laughs> Unbelievable. It's yeah, just uh, so it's, wonderful. It's, yeah, it's. Um, I'd like to do this to get paid to do it. This would be the, the greatest thing is actually to make a living doing this full time. To me, it's just an interest. I, you know, I'm a university lecturer. I don't talk about these things at, at school at all. But, um, you know, if I could help people and uh, also make a living at it, that would be the, the ultimate goal for me. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And, and <laughs> I'm so glad there's people in universities like you that, that are really, really open to the energy, the universe, God, spirituality. So thank you so much. And, and uh, how can people get a hold of you? Is there a website? Is there uh, social media that they can get a hold no. of you? Not? Nope. Okay. Just the books. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. No, um, I have a site. My, uh, my name is chris-earnshaw.com. Um, then uh, I'm on Twitter as author 
Earnshaw. And um, I've just started Instagram as author Earnshaw. And uh, I have podcasts about uh, Freemasonry called Freemasonry in Seven Minutes or Less. So it's just short bits about Freemasonry, little introductions. Mm, I'm actually quite quite visible on Google, I think. <laughs> yes. uh, but if you put spiritual Freemasonry on the internet, uh, YouTube, I've got a very, well, I wouldn't say, it's quite deep uh, dive into Freemasonry and spirituality. It's called Spiritual Freemasonry on YouTube. I have about 65 videos there in giving, you know, background to Freemasonry. Oh, that's so wonderful. So everybody listening, you got to go check out uh, Chris's stuff and, and just go deeper into this because it's it's amazing. And I just want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you for all the value, all the interesting stories, everything we talked about today. It's just been a wonderful experience. So thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you, Thomas, for making this possible. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, the opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, for everybody listening, I hope you're inspired to write your own book about exorcism or spirituality or Taoism. And, and uh, yeah, that's the show. And we'll talk to you on the next one. There's an infinite amount of books floating out there in the ether. And all you have to do is tap into your highest self and write it. What if you could go out in the wilderness or international trek and experience firsthand shamanic healing, mental emotional release, and write your first draft? Writing a book isn't about the book. It's about the integration healing that that book facilitates, isn't it? Because when the book heals the author, the book heals the reader. And that's an amazing thing. If you've been procrastinating writing your book for years now, you can hear that book screaming for its life every night. Join me for a backcountry breakthrough. You'll experience guided trekking, daily energy sessions, mental emotional release, and writing sessions that guarantee your rough draft by the time you get back to the trailhead. Join me for a backcountry breakthrough. Go to mountainmindtricks slash backcountry dash breakthrough. So go to mountainmindtricks.com slash backcountry dash breakthroughs. Writing a book isn't about the actual book because there, there's going to be those obstacles that try and derail you from the actual writing. The key is preserving through the pain of writing every day. The book begins to highlight your emotional deep core wounds in a way that makes you want to quit writing, right? But if you stay on the course, the old beliefs, the old identity of yourself, the negative ways of thinking begin to fall away. And suddenly, a new way of being starts to emerge. This is when the book begins to come alive and write itself. Because in this moment, you aren't writing the book. The book is writing itself as you have this internal transformation. This is the essence of healing through writing. Is your book screaming from the back of your mind? I know mine was. What would happen if your healing journey stopped here? You never got over that final hump. Your regret, remorse from not writing your book was the source of mind-body, future disease. I mean, what would you tell your clients if you couldn't work anymore? Go be healed somewhere else? I mean, what would happen if your business failed because you hold yourself back from your highest self? What would it be like if you regretted the book you never wrote and your last thoughts on your deathbed was, I wish I would have written that book? See, all these things are tragic, but it's possible for you to reach your big dream and be a number one best-selling author. When the book heals the author, the book heals the reader. This is a powerful concept because when books heal the reader, they sell and they go number one bestseller. So I'm starting this movement of healing through writing and using the breakthrough session to release the root cause of writer's block, that procrastination, that loss of motivation when you started writing your book or you had the idea and you never started. 
There's one-on-one coaching calls, weekly homework and accountability. After a comprehensive health assessment, we build habits and systems and goals to keep you on track. There's MP3 guided meditations, one-on-one hypnosis. And then I really teach you how to get published, how to self-publish or publish with my company, Mountain Mind Tricks Publishing. Then you leverage your book on podcasts, talk shows, speaking engagements, and you manifest that prosperity and passive income you're really looking for in your business. So I want you to check out BreakthroughWritersBlock.com and join the Healing Through Writing movement. It'll be the best thing you've ever done in your life because writing a book will completely change everything. So go to BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Again, that's BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Are you a new author that's trying to wade through self-publishing of what category should I pick, find the right designer, get an editor, what about the formatting? What's the dimensions that the actual spine in the book have to be? Is it gloss or white paper? There's so many different things that goes on in publishing. And that's why I'm dedicated to helping indie authors that have gone through this healing journey through writing their own book publish that piece of art, publish that amazing work that could help heal others. And here's the thing, is when a book heals the author, the book heals the reader. And this is so huge. I know I say this all the time, but it's so important. And and I wanna help the world make a huge impact by spreading more books that heal the reader. So if this sounds like you, I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing. Again, that's mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing. And if you're wading through Should I publish on Amazon? What about Ingram Spark? How do I get my book into bookstores? What should I do to even launch a book? How do I get on podcasts? There's so many things that go into publishing. And again, that's why I'm here for you. I want to publish your book. So if this sounds like you, go to mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing. Again, mountainmindtricks.com slash publishing.